It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Francis Schaeffer, an American evangelical theologian, philosopher, Presbyterian pastor, author, best known for co-founding with his wife, Edith, the Labrie community in Switzerland, said truth claims are like a two-story building. The first story has an all-objective truth claims, including scientific, philosophical, and historical truth claims. The second story contains the subjective truth claims. According to Schaefer in his book, The God Who Is There, there has been a change to the very concept of truth starting in the U.S. as early as 1913, the year before the First World War began. Things that were once deemed to be objective now are relegated to the second story of Schaefer's building and labeled as subjective. And along the way, we've seen subjective opinion elevated to the level of objective truth. Wherever you look now, this new concept of truth holds the field. It's accepted by the mainstream media, the universities, big businesses, and the entertainment industry. Before this time, everyone would have been working on much the same presuppositions, which in practice seem to accord with the Christians' presuppositions. What were these presuppositions back then? The basic one was that there really are such things as absolutes. The people generally accepted the possibility of an absolute in the area of knowledge, truth, and morals. The perception then was that absolute described the very nature of the concept of truth. Absolutes imply antitheses. Back then, the people took it for granted that if something was true, then the opposite was false. In morality, if one thing was right, its opposite was wrong. But things are different now. In the new view of truth, there are no absolutes in knowledge, in truth, in morals, or in certain politically correct matters. So everyone can have their own personal truth, and nobody is wrong on anything. And all religions are deemed equally meritorious. Two people can hold directly opposite views and amazingly both be considered correct. 
This may be acceptable in a low-level discussion about theory in a late-night beer party, but it is self-defeating in real practice. For example, suppose you are taking a class from a professor who holds to relativism. Suppose further the class meets at 10 o'clock a.m. If you were to say to him that for you, the time for the class is really 10.45 a.m., do you think he will be pleased to allow you to come to class at 10.45? I doubt it, don't you? So he holds to relativism in theory, but he accepts to one objective truth, namely, the time for class is 10 o'clock. All things are not relative to him in practice. Let's take this example a bit further. Suppose the professor gives a true-false exam, and you decide to test his commitment to relativism. You turn in your exam and say, it's true for me that all the questions are false. Do you think he will give you a 100% score? I doubt it too. Relativism may be okay as a dense partner in the theory of living, but it's a bad partner in the practice of living. Relativity says there are no absolutes. So it follows that there are no moral absolutes. But contrary to that conclusion, moral absolutes seem unavoidable. Let me get at that last statement in this matter. Is it ever morally okay to kill? Yes, there are such things as justifiable homicide. For example, for self-defense and to save the life of another. But is it okay to kill for the fun of it? No, that has never been acceptable in any society in all of history. Is it okay to steal? Yes, maybe to steal the plans of the attackers of the Twin Towers in New York City in 2001. But is it okay to steal for the fun of it? No. Is it okay to torture people for the fun of it? No. On and on I could go taking moral claim after moral claim, adding for the fun of it, and asking, is it okay? What do you think the answer should be? I suspect your answer would be no. So there are moral absolutes, after all, contrary to relativism's central claim. So what are the consequences and results of the subjectivist and relativistic view of truth? Remember this verse in the Gospels. Wisdom is justified by all its children. That is found in Matthew 11, verse 19, and Luke 7, verse 35. Let's look at some children of relativism. I think you will see that these children show the bankruptcy of the relativistic view of truth. Number one. In the last episode, I showed that relativism is self-defeating and leads to nihilism, where nothing is of any value. So there is a, 
loss of meaning and purpose in life, there's also loss of human dignity. The relativist believes all truth is relative. Well, if all truth is relative, then their statement falls into that category, and so it too is relative, and thus cannot be absolutely true. Why then should we believe it? Second, relativism is untenable because it entails that opposite statements are both true. Some relativists might assert that it can be true for one person that God exists, but true for another that God does not exist. But that statement is false because logically it cannot be the case that God exists and does not exist. Either he does exist or he doesn't exist. That is a first principle of logic called the law of non-contradiction. So if relativism were true, then the world is full of contradictions. Third, relativism renders knowledge impossible. Knowledge includes justified true belief. If relativity of truth prevails, it can't be justified. Gaining knowledge presupposes moving from a state of no knowledge to a state of knowledge. If relativism is true, neither state truly exists. So learning is impossible because learning is moving from a false belief to a true one. That is, from an absolutely false belief to an absolutely true one. The truth is that absolutes are inescapable. Fourth, relativism renders all reasoning about anything impossible. From a practical point of view, the question of objective truth is one of the most important questions of, of any argument about any topic, and most especially in apologetics in the defense of Christianity. If reasons cannot be proofs of objective truths, but are only personal rationalizations, feelings, and prejudices, then it is futile to give a reason for the hope within you, as mentioned in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Fifth, if truth is relative, then no one is ever wrong, even when they are in fact wrong. As long as something is true for me, then I'm right even when I'm wrong. If all truth is simply a matter of perspective and subjective opinion, it's virtually impossible to convict anyone of a crime. Sixth, despite the popularity of relativism, the consequences of subjectivism and relativism of truth not only is destructive to much about the life that we treasure, but also it lacks intellectual and philosophical integrity, and consequently loses its vitality to life. One consequence is loss of meaning and purpose. Also, there's loss of dignity. The point is, we all want truth and need it. Seventh, 
In relativism, there is no injustice. In the book, True Truth, pages 105 to 106, the author, Art Lindsley, tells this story. When Francis and Edith Schaefer first founded the Swiss meeting place, Labrie, Lindsley's atheistic friend went to visit. He was a relativist, was was passionate about injustice. At that time, he was upset about the Vietnam War and what he considered American abuses. In discussion, it was pointed out to him he could not have the freedom of relativism to do whatever he wanted in his personal life and also have at the same time an absolute standard by which he could condemn injustice. Why was he so certain there was justice or injustice if there was no God? He was provoked to make a decision, become a consistent relativist, or accept an adequate basis for justice in a God who is there and is not silent on moral issues. He finally chose belief in God through Christ. Eight. In relativism, there is a loss of morals. Once you give up on an infinite reference point in God, morality becomes either meaningless or can be created out of essentially arbitrary personal preferences. Because values are mere preferences in relativism, the values one chooses cannot be imposed on others without provoking the inevitable question who are you to impose your values on me? Or, says who? Novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky in The Brothers Karamazov offered this startling insight. If there is no God, everything is permitted. Ninth, Alan Bloom, in his book The Closing of the American Mind, pointed to a paradox in the relativist view of things. On the one hand, universities throughout the world encourage an endless openness to whatever strange and bizarre views people may hold. Students are encouraged to be ever learning, but are never encouraged to actually learn anything objectively true. Strangely, this endless openness leads to a closing of the mind to the concept of ever arriving at absolute truth. In their book, Relativism, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair, Francis J. Beckwith and Gregory Kukul give seven fatal flaws of relativism and summarize them as follows. What kind of world would it be if relativism were true. It would be a world in which nothing is wrong, nothing is considered evil or good, nothing worthy of praise or blame. It would be a world in which justice and fairness are meaningless concepts, in which there is no possibility of moral improvement, no moral discourse. And it would be a world in which there is no tolerance. Moral relativism produces this kind 
of world. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.